Well, um, welcome back to the Think Education podcast. I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Solomon David. Uh, today is Monday, July the 6th, 2020. Um, I'm not sure about you, Solomon, but I've now been in my house for 14 weeks without leaving. Well, yeah. uh, I, I, I can't say I never left my home, but I had to take kids out for a little walk, and yeah, yeah. some shopping. But that that's not uh, real leaving, right? <laughs> well, no, but it's still out, it's still outdoors. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just obviously yeah. very curtailed. I get a lot of colleagues back in the UK asking, "Oh, when are you going outside?" And it's like it's fifty degrees. Like I don't I don't want to go outside. It's too hot. Um, well, the good thing here in Dubai we have big malls, so we can hang out and that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so um, I'm delighted today to be joined by my colleague Solomon. Um, we're going to talk about uh, a very big topic. Um, which obviously is is mostly speculation, um, but it's certainly reasoned uh, speculation. We're talking about the future of education um, and maybe less providing the actual answers, but more talking about the questions that we should be considering, right? The, the big themes that we should be, be moving forward. Now, this podcast today is based on um, a keynote that Solomon gave uh, last week. No, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yes. Yeah, so uh, it was on the twenty ninth of uh, June, last week. In last fact. week. So, um, do you yeah. mind just telling us a little bit more about um, the conference, the keynote, and how that how that came about? Uh, well, uh, Chris, uh, this is a conference hosted by um, a research group called Eurasia Research. Uh, they they do conference uh, um, in different countries. Uh, uh, the conference that they hosted at Budapest uh, last week, twenty ninth of June, two thousand twenty. Uh, the theme of the conference was on teaching, education and learning. Uh, and they expected me to speak about the future of teaching and learning uh, in the post-pandemic world, uh, as this is the, you know, the, the, the hour of uh, the need and everyone is talking about it. So that's what the main focus of the uh, uh, keynote I made and, in, in this relevant conference. So can I ask you just sort of more as a general point, um, how do you go about preparing for something like that? Because the one thing is how you prepare for a keynote, which is, you know, you and I have done these, lots of colleagues will have done them. They're, they're difficult, interesting, challenging, fun, depending on et cetera. But when you're, you're given a topic that's the future of teaching and learning post-pandemic, how do, you, how do you go about preparing for something like that? This is this is a, not an easy task, you know. I should say I spent spent at least uh, three days to to really get my head around to think and uh, work on that uh, topic. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, the the conference uh, itself is focusing on teaching and learning, uh, so that's uh, one of the common practice in in doing keynote is relating the keynote to the theme of the conference. So that was the main focus to reduce my scope of the keynote within the teaching learning uh, field um, but since uh, uh, this is the need of the hour uh, everyone is looking for what is next in the uh, crisis that we are going through now due to the pandemic so it's obviously a, a promising topic to look for the future right we can't get stuck uh, of course there are problems in uh, our professional practice and teaching learning uh, we need to look for the brighter side and, and move ahead and, and lead the world with what we can best uh, do in the best ways. So that's the idea that I kept in my mind and the conference organizers also agreed on that. So uh, kind of uh, that uh, motivated me to uh, dig deep it, uh, with, within uh, what I know already and, uh, and a little bit of search, research, 
uh, in the relevant works that colleagues have done. And obviously, I should say, uh, teaching learning is a very big field, and there's a beautiful and uh, very rich uh, uh, theories and literature that we can really benefit from. Uh, and obviously, in a 20-minute keynote, it's impossible to cover everything. Sure. So I need to kind of uh, make a make a, a compromise and uh, a, 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 an agreement uh, uh, within what is the best that is needed for now to uh, take it further. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I mean, what I think is ironic is um, that despite the the broadness of the topic. It's, as you said, it's a very reflective practice, right? It's, it's talking about something that's many different elements, but trying to focus yeah. on, well, what do we do post-pandemic? And yet the reality is that we should be, as teachers and educators, we should be having these types of conversations daily, pandemic or not, right? We should constantly be thinking about what's the future? Yeah. How do we revise? Yeah. How do we improve? Um, I mean, you and I both work in curriculum studies. You know, it's it's an yeah. ongoing yeah. evolution of, of improvement. Um, and I, for me, that's been something that's I found really interesting about the pandemic period is this sort of increase in reflective language that people are using with a view to, well, how do we solve? How do we move? How do we move? And you think if come September, everything just goes back to quote unquote normal. Will we just forget all this reflective period and, and you know, just really go, all right, well, we'll just, we'll just rewind the clock and, and start teaching again. And that would be, it would be a shame, I think, because we've, we've had a lot of interesting conversations about, you know, assessment. We've had quick questions about access. We've talked about equity. We've talked about diversity. We've, you know, there've been a lot of these things popping up in literature and, and debates. And yeah, um, it would be a shame, I think, if we didn't take take advantage of this. So you yeah. you structured your your keynote around sort of ten key themes, right? And yeah. um, what I'd like to do today is to talk about some of the some of those. Um, and uh, and the first one in particular was something I th was is deeply philosophical, I think, which is this this point you were raising about the moral duty, the moral responsibility of teachers but also of teaching i wonder if you if you'd maybe say a little bit more about about your thoughts on that please uh well f first of all chris uh, on the note that you 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 pointed out that the value of this uh, uh this uh, uh, retreat i would call uh that we had a beautiful couple of months to you know sit back and uh, work from home and rela relax in a, to some extent but to reflect deeply uh to think about our own practices i think um, across the world uh, professionals uh, in every field have been doing this and I'm sure this is going to feed into our own uh, professional practice in the coming months and years so this is uh, something that we need to capitalize I absolutely agree with you on that point um, um, secondly to, uh, to, to, uh, to talk about the moral duty the, con the, the notion of epistemic obligation which I highlighted in the conference uh, which I borrowed from the contemporary American philosopher uh, uh, Richard Feldman, uh, who has introduced this notion called uh, epistemic obligation. Obviously, he has taken this uh, as an inspiration from uh, Robert Audi, uh, who talked about the um, uh, epistemic duties or moral duties in intellectual um, you know, processes. So these are some of the things that I've uh, been reflecting about the uh, teaching learning practices for a long time. Uh, one of the recent research I've been carrying out is focusing on epistemic access uh, to education, uh, which has been actually uh, uh, an idea that was uh, uh, shared quite long ago by um, 
Mauro uh, uh, um, and um, other colleagues uh, back in South Africa from uh, UCT. So these are some of those ideas that has been uh, in my thought for a, for a while. Uh, and I strongly believe that uh, um, instructors, teachers um, um, have got a strong uh, moral duty to fulfill in the intellectual processes. And that's what uh, Rob, uh, Richard Feldman um, argues, uh, that uh, the, uh, in epistemic obligation, uh, we, we all have two duties to fulfill. One duty is to uh, make sure that we teach what is right, uh, to, know that, to know what is right. The second duty is to avoid what is error, what is wrong, right? So we, as, as instructors, we need to be mindful of uh, giving the right knowledge. I, um, I often also talk about uh, the Gettier's problem uh, when uh, Gettier was trying to establish what is true knowledge. So for him, true knowledge is that is not a random thought that anyone gets. So for him, uh, knowledge is something uh, that comes in our mind as an idea, which is uh, being uh, validated by scientific processes, tested with evidences, and justified with the intellectual community's approval. So uh, that is what an authentic knowledge is. So, uh, so this is what Richard Feldman also content that uh, we need to really make sure that we are passing uh, the tested knowledge, not any common sense knowledge. So that's what is the big duty that uh, academics, uh, intellectuals, teachers uh, uh, has to fulfill. And obviously, the institutions do hold the same moral duty because they need to also make sure that this is uh, facilitated in a genuine and transparent uh, way. Uh, and students have, do hold this epistemic access that they must also make sure that they, uh, they fulfill this duty by gaining this authentic uh, knowledge rather than uh, any uh, unscientific knowledge uh, through this intellectual uh, rigor. So that's what I strongly would like to advocate that uh, we all hold this epistemic obligation. And this is uh, something that we need to be very, very uh, mindful in our professional practice. No, I mean, I think that's, that's absolutely true. Um, <laughs> absolute knowledge and absolute truth, um, which, I mean, in the world we're living in today is, uh, has become a, a difficult debate, although it shouldn't be. Um, and I wonder, um, I think that this is particularly raises some issues um, because of the current situation um, and, and where students are able to access information from, it, it does raise some very key issues about access, access, equity and equality, right? Because when you can yeah. put every kid in the classroom to an extent that's a, a certain sort of format, but when you know, you then got kids at home, not all of whom will have the same access to online material or will have the same hardware or, and what we're seeing increasingly, will not have parents who can help and support them. Um, yeah. Either because the parents yeah. are working, or the parents are busy, or not tech savvy. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're, then it sort of manifests many, many different issues. And and I think it yeah. comes back down to almost broader than the institution, which is the societal moral um, responsibility. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you'll be talking about that deeper philosophical, which is what what is our obligation from an education perspective? You know, what's yeah. what's relevant, and how do we how do we build that access? And I think it's uh, I think at least if that's a deeper question that we we really take in on board, yeah. as you were saying, that post-pandemic, you know, the, these are issues that should change the, the teaching practice. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, 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 yeah, it's, it's important that institutional uh, sense must go beyond the, uh, the school or a university. It's a society as a whole uh, that actually 
and it has considered as a bigger institution, they are also responsible in, in making sure that uh, a genuine uh, learning uh, is occurring and uh, genuine teaching is uh, uh, facilitated for the uh, sake of universal pursuit of knowledge. Uh, that's that's what we need to actually make sure. Uh, obviously, um, this is uh, to a large extent is uh, uh, is this widely practiced well. I would say in many contexts, uh, but I, uh, we need to certainly be uh, uh, conscious about uh, the uh, divide that we have, intellectual divide. That not everyone has got the privilege to access authentic knowledge because sometimes authentic knowledge is not cheap. It's it's uh, yeah. it's expensive, uh, and uh, so there is always this debate about available knowledge and authentic knowledge. So most of the time, uh, teachers and uh, students have to really go with what is available, what is free source. Um, so that this is one of the things that societies have to uh, make efforts to uh, uh, make uh, most important knowledge uh, as possible, um, as possibly to uh, be available for everyone to access uh, at free of cost or at available uh, in a uh, affordable price so everyone could really have the privilege to access to this authentic knowledge. Yeah, and I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And I think what's another level of difficulty is the fact that recently education is pushing, or is being pushed perhaps, to create the link to employment. So education has been become more and more seen as the vehicle or the thing that gets you the job or how it demonstrates return on value, you know, and it's, it's sort of a, a, a switch get this equal this and we know that's not true we know that jobs are changing we know that the education formal traditional doesn't prepare people for the skill-based jobs that they'll be creating and so there's a mismatch and and we we're in this sort of weird conflict period of wanting to pull back to reflected philosophical understanding while being pulled yeah. by practical skill base and, and there must be some some way in which we can we can join these yeah. two pieces together um and it's all, education has been a been a victim of its own success. More and more people go, which is a good thing. Yeah. But that creates its own then set of yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Of, of I, a, I I I do not undermine the need for uh, the uh, uh, you know society. You know the the usefulness of uh, learning. Uh, we don't learn for the sake of uh, our own intellectual bliss right yeah, we yes. must <laughs> uh, of course this is one of the spirit for many to, to learn this is ideally uh, they need to be passionate and enjoy what they are learning uh, but certainly uh, if your learning does not take you to make your living then this also has got some challenges we yeah. need to understand that and balance carefully um you know one of this uh, uh unesco's uh, uh, very famous uh, delors document that uh, uh, unpack this, uh, uh, this this struggle. Actually, they they offer this four pillars of learning. Uh, you know this this beautiful uh, document, um, where the the four pillars uh, refers to um, uh, learning to be, learning to know, learning to uh, uh, do, and learning to live together. So, and they don't really uh, categorize which is important, which is not important. They say all of them are equally mm. important pillars. And so we need to actually balance all the four of them uh, in, in, in learning and in teaching. So uh, that will be carefully balancing our own intellectual passion and our ability to do something and uh, our own well-being and then our uh, well-being in 
the society with others, so they're living able to in a harmonious way with others. So that's a very well, um, you know, uh, summed up uh, um, idea into a, a nice um, uh, learning pillars. Mm -hmm. I would strongly think in this direction to uh, keep learning more broader uh, in terms of their scope and purpose, rather than narrowing down to uh, to one aspect of the economic interest or philosophical interest. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and it's a it's a very well crafted segue to to talk about one of our second points, which is this this issue of well being, um, yeah. and you know when you're talking about education being a, a broader, deeper approach to life, you know in in terms of how people interact, how they carry themselves in the world, um, and how they develop. Um, we've talked a lot in the past about um, the issues of well-being, the issues of diversity, the issues of access. But I think in particular, um, that's a, a key issue that's come to light in the pandemic, right? So it, obviously we're not, we're, not, we're not operating under normal circumstances. So it's not that children are having homeschool because obviously prior to the, the pandemic, there were children all around the world who were homeschooled. So this is not a new phenomenon. But being homeschooled while your parents are also at home, while your parents are probably trying to balance their own jobs, with teachers who, for a big percentage of them, haven't necessarily taught online before, to students who haven't taught online before, where they don't necessarily have the access, and it sort of all all makes in. And I know you talked about this in the in the keynote. So, would you like to say a few words about your your thoughts on on the issue of well being in particular? Yes, uh, you know, I I highlighted on the well being for both teachers and students. Uh, you know, uh, they are the two key stakeholders who are actively involved in the teaching learning process. Of course, there are others who are supporting uh, from outside, sure, sure. Uh, family, you know, school management and um, um, the government. So, so many are involved in that. But generally, within the classroom or within the learning platform, these are the two people who are actively involved. And uh, of course, um, uh, be it in the regular, uh, in the face-to-face -face learning or in online learning, um, we, we do face challenges um, for our own well-being uh, as teachers as well as as learners. I would think that um, um, this, we live in a society of uh, competitiveness. Uh, there's an increased competitiveness uh, in, in society that everyone has to really excel in their, in their life in order to be recognized. Uh, so that pressure is there for teachers. Um, they, you know, uh, in academia, we, we experience this. We need to really publish, we need to uh, do well in our teaching. We have so many tasks to really keep up to, 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 to be recognized in our, uh, in our own professional world. So that is not something easy for everyone, uh, given their challenges uh, within their context, uh, within their uh, uh, type of institution they work. So there are so many other things that are involved uh, in um, the well-being construct of a teacher, right? Yes. So, of course, uh, th there are people who are gifted with a lot of uh, the privileges like us. We have uh, a stable uh, job. We have, uh, you know, a, a stable situation in which we can operate with little happiness uh, or with little comfort that we don't have to worry about a lot of things. But imagine, uh, um, to my understanding, that half of the staff members, uh, teachers around the world, are living in a very unpredictable situation, uh, even not in the pandemic time, even in the usual time. Yeah. Uh, so they can't really, uh, um, really keep in a very keep themselves in a very com comfortable situation to perform their duties. So this will certainly affect their uh, personal as well as professional life. That's one thing. 
The second thing, but learners, um, learners, uh, you know, the demand on learners is also incredibly increasing day by day uh, as the competition outside the world is growing. So they are uh, expected to perform high, um, the quality learning and the competitiveness and other uh, tests that they are taking that affect their, uh, their well-being. Anxiety is something that we need to really uh, think carefully uh, to tackle for students' well-being. Uh, they're worried about their future. Uh, future is very uncertain, especially uh, in, in this time that many people are losing jobs. Uh, and the economy is cry, you know, you know, um, going through a crisis. So, uh, there's so many things that we need to really address when we talk about the well-being. Uh, the good thing that what I have uh, uh, also hinted in my keynote is that we have become more conscious about this well-being notion in recent time. Yeah. So that's a something positive. Uh, governments are talking about it. Uh, institutions are talking about it, and many employers are paying attention to this. Uh, aspect of well-being uh, for both uh, teachers and learners. So this is something that is uh, uh, taking us uh, with a promise uh, that we will be able to uh, uh, manage this effectively in, in, in the times that are coming. Uh, but uh, we, we, we should not really uh, uh, you know, uh, um, take this for granted uh, that people sometimes don't talk about it, but we must find a way to support them in, in a best way. Absolutely. I mean, and that raises some, a couple of very, very key points. Um, one is uh, the job of a teacher was difficult before the pandemic. Right? Being a teacher is not, a, yeah. not an easy job with the multiple things you've got to, to factor in and the different pressures and different skill sets. Um, and as you say, the problem is if a teacher isn't afforded the time to reflect or train or be supported, their performance naturally will not be optimum. And given that their performance yeah. impacts people's learning, it's a bit of a cycle that needs, uh, needs addressing. Um, yeah. But I, I, think the, I think absolutely critically is this issue of, of what we're prepared to talk about now. And during the pandemic, um, whether it's tweets or blogs or, or articles even, this issue of mental health, this issue of well-being, this issue of stability, that's becoming more normalized, which is a wonderful thing because, you know, as you know, sort of um, some of our, our Buid students ran a webinar looking at teacher well-being last month, um, and they were sort of showing some of the statistics from the UN um, that you know even two years ago, sort of sixty, seventy percent of people um, surveyed wouldn't tell their boss that they they were having mental health issues or that were feeling stress even at work, and you know people didn't know who they could talk to even if they wanted to, and they were afraid that they'd lose their job and. You know, you'd almost expect that during the pandemic, people would be even more afraid of speaking out because jobs, as you say, are yeah. more precarious. But the fact that now people are, you know, everything's everything's come under microscope. Um, people have, have really understood the value of teachers if they didn't before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, parents who now are, are acting like teachers at home realize, whoa, this is this is insanely difficult. Um, you know, and parent and teachers are also realizing how much they need the help of parents and sort of vice versa. And so it's. It's yeah, a very, yeah. it's a very, I agree with you, it's a very positive thing that it's being talked about more openly. What we hope, I suppose, now is that schools and institutions start to put into policies in place where there's ongoing support, there's ongoing counselling available, yeah. there's ongoing, so not disregarding the student well-being, but, but also recognising that staff well-being is an equal critical issue yeah. in order for the whole cycle to, to, to continue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I think that uh, people kind of... Uh, tend to become more aware of the well-being issues uh, um, in line with in a, in a positive manner. Um, and like in the past, in many countries, uh, 
Um, if someone has got uh, a mental issues, it's something that is uh, completely wrong yep. or, or uh, they are not uh, fit to work. But, um, uh, you know, in, in modern time, uh, everyone is going through some kinds of struggle, right? Uh, uh, even in wealthy countries, uh, they are not all okay. Uh, people have uh, uh, issues and they are not now be able to acknowledge themselves. This is okay to have these kinds of issues. Uh, we, we all have a bad day. We all have a bad period of time. So we just have to take care of uh, ourselves and uh, others uh, and be supportive to each other whenever people need uh, 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 such uh, support um, in, in their life. You know, kindness is the word uh, uh, because we don't know what others are going through. Sure. Uh, so that's what we need to really uh, absolutely in our life. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I think that's, that's absolutely right. It reminds me of the sort of the paraphrasing of the Rudyard Kipling poem. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, which is the poem, and the paraphrase is, you clearly have no idea how bad things are. You know, everybody has, everybody has some sort of stress. And I, I think actually the, the point that you made then is a very, it's a very good one for people to bear in mind that, um, you know, simply because somebody's acting in a particular way, um, there's always an underlying factor behind it. You know, it's, they're just not on their best day or they're, they were stuck in yeah. traffic or their kid kept them awake at night or, you know, whatever it might be. There's always something underlying that, um, as you say, kindness and compassion just sort of taking yeah. that extra beat and just saying, okay, well, let's try and understand um, because their situation is probably not that dissimilar to mine in terms of the stresses and pressures. So, um, and yeah. If, yeah, if we can do that, we, we should be better teachers and better students, obviously, because then likewise as well, right? Which comes back to this thing about the moral, moral duty about what's the purpose yeah. of yeah. learning, right? It's to get yeah. better. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's fantastic. And then I suppose the... No conversation about anything um, today <laughs> cannot mention technology. Indeed, we're instead of us sitting down over a cup of coffee in the office, we're doing this um, over technology now. Um, so how, what's been your experience with, because uh, you and I have both now been teaching fully online for, what's it been the now? Whole term. whole term, right? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> final assignment was yesterday, so we're, we're, almost, uh, we're almost at the end of the, of the year. So what have, what have your experience been or your thoughts on, on this at the moment? Well, you know, I, um, Chris, I think um, um, I used to have very <clears throat> uh, traditional mindset uh, when it came to technology in the past, honestly. Um, um, but uh, um, uh, this, this particular period has actually alarmed everyone uh, about the uh, need to embrace technology. Right, so uh, technology is not uh, something that is alien, or it's uh, something that we don't have to use it. So uh, it's not all bad. So uh, technology can be, <clears throat> in my view, meaningfully used uh, in our um, life uh, for our personal and professional needs. Um, but what I uh, have experienced is the, some of the challenges are there with technology when you fully go with it, uh, especially you know the screen time. Um, the mental fatigue yeah. uh, when you sit too much online, you know that that's something we need to uh, uh, be mindful. Especially, uh, you know, hospitals have uh, noticed uh, the uh, big spike in eye problems and uh, uh, mental issues related to technology sure. uh, abuse. Uh, uh, not use abuse, I would say, <laughs> because people sit in front of computer for work and then in television and then maybe in their mobile phones. So the entire day is gone yeah. in. Uh, technologies 
that's where we have to be very careful. You know, many families um, have a, a very good discipline to have uh, a limited time in screen. Um, uh, some families like um, we try sometimes to have a zero screen day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> screen free day. So, uh, but it's very possible sometimes, you know, to, to be very disciplined in this. Um, that's something that we can actually uh, uh, practice to stay away from technology when it is not needed. Um, but especially at this moment, uh, technology has been very, very helpful, I would say, for our uh, to, to keep our uh, professional life moving. We, we would have completely got stuck if we didn't have this technological privilege. Yes. And to, to, to my understanding, uh, I also uh, have experienced that technology has become much simplified, very user-friendly. Uh, so it's, it's, it's going through a big evolution it, uh, itself. So uh, that's something that, uh, that, that I have found uh, uh, as, a, as a good point in, in the technology use in recent time. Uh, of course, there are areas that uh, um, technology could still be better refined for uh, everyone's uh, uh, use and benefit. And that's something that we can talk about uh, uh, in the future. And uh, uh, one thing that I need to also caution um, about mm, the challenge in technological use is the tech digital divide and the tech ability of people and the resource that uh, people have to equip themselves with the technological gadgets and the softwares. So these are something that we have to really address. Um, wherever it is important, uh, there must be some uh, possibility to uh, Make, make technology affordable for people to yeah. uh, use it in a meaningful way. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I agree. I mean, we we've seen this prior to the pandemic, right? We've seen this sort of um, disconnect, perhaps, between the capability of the teacher and the capability of the student. And there was certainly always an assumption that the student was more technologically savvy than the teacher. And to a, a, an extent, I think the literature shows that to be true, but not necessarily in terms of teaching and learning. So it's, it's two very, very different skill sets. One is can you use technology and one is can you use it for teaching or learning? And those are, those are separate skill functions. Um, yeah. And so there's, there's always that issue, which is mostly about teacher preparedness and development and the, the good usable platforms. But I think the issue that you raise about digital divide is what we were talking about um, a little while ago. This issue of access, this issue of equity, which comes back to your yeah. first point about the moral obligation of a society to ensure access. Because otherwise yeah. you've disadvantaged and you've once again made education elitist. Because yeah, if you yeah. don't have an iPad and you don't have 4G, that's it. There's no school. And that's that, which, yeah, you know, yeah. for a week, yeah. okay, is just about acceptable for a, a, a crisis. But for a month, two yeah, months, a term, yeah. etc. So, yeah, technology you know, for purpose. What, yeah. what we need to uh, also agree that we didn't live in a perfect world before. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even even with the face-to-face -face learning, there was a lot of disadvantages for many people. Yeah. Not everyone had uh, access to schooling. Not everyone had access to good schooling. So uh, it's not the it's not the uh, it's not we can blame technology for this. No. It's 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 that the society's moral uh, duty to make sure that it, it has to be taken care. Of. But of course, I think across the world, society is, uh, in my view, uh, society in large sense uh, is moving. To, through a positive uh, trend, you know, with all the push from international institutions such as uh, UNESCO, UN to uh, make uh, education universal. So there has been a lot of effort uh, taken, but uh, it's not yet uh, fully realized or achieved. So we have a lot 
of works to do. Uh, of course, this uh, pandemic period slowed down big on the social justice project. Um, so we need to restart that as we start the life again after the post-pandemic world. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's not it's not that what we were doing before was right or wrong and what we're doing now is right or wrong. They're sort of blips <laughs> in the point of development. Um, it's interesting because you, you'd see this debate a lot, which is, oh, um, you know, if you one camp says, if you use technology, you're a good teacher. And the other says, no, you don't need technology to be a good teacher. And it's like, well, actually, they're not mutually exclusive. You can be a bad teacher with good technology and you can be a good teacher with bad technology. Right. It's there. You know, if if a teacher isn't trained and motivated and engaged, the teaching experience is going to be lesser. It doesn't and matter if they... And imagine if a, a bad teacher has a bad technology. There you go. Then it's, that's, you might as well just switch off. Absolutely. Um, but you can have a good teacher with a, with a blackboard and a piece of chalk. Right? It doesn't, you don't need... Obviously, under our current circumstance, you, you do need technology to, to get the, the message across. But um, technology is not... It's not the answer to good teaching. Under our current circumstance, it's the answer to access, but it's not the answer to good teaching. Um, and so, you know, schools need to think about training teachers in, in online teaching. You know, they need to think about access. They need to think about equity. They need to think about the, the mental health and the well-being of the people using these devices. Um, yeah. Not to mention all the stuff we haven't even talked about, about assessment and, you know, cheating and, that's, you know, and abuse, you know, which... Well, I- well, I would say uh, uh, the, on, uh, the online uh, teaching learning has got also some other uh, positive elements, such as uh, it, it also uh, privileges uh, people who have jobs, people who are, who are living in a remote uh, 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 places where they don't have uh, the good schooling. Mm. Uh, so they, they all could benefit. You know, there, there are some positive aspects uh, of online teaching. Of course, if the technology connectability is sure. good in, sure. in remote places. They could all benefit from it, and I, I think uh, um, uh, what I also experienced in this time is the incredible amount of webinars around the world. People been listening for free, for free. of cost. Many people been teaching or uh, sharing their thoughts for free, and uh, that's something uh, influenced so many people around the world that they could benefit from that. And you know, the good thing we have all mobile phones around the world now; they all have internet connection, so. Of course, if the good connectability is not a, is another issue, but many p- could still utilize this uh, in a useful way. Every time I talk to a friend, they say, uh, in the next hour, I have an interesting yeah. webinar I'm planning. So uh, I could see that people are utilizing their time in, in developing themselves yeah. uh, to a large extent. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. So uh, broadly speaking, then just to sort of uh, close up, uh, what's your... Not ultimate view, because that's a silly question, but what, what's your sort of view on, on the future of teaching and learning? What, what do you see? I mean, five years is a, is a silly thing. What do you see in September? What do you see in January? I mean, let's, let's try and keep it more, more realistic. Yeah. I think, I think uh, you know, Chris, uh, already a lot of people are talking about to what will happen when we come back to normal life, right? Uh, uh, assuming that we will go back to school full time and... So uh, most of us are hoping that this is going to start from September fully or uh, partly many people are thinking about don't really take such a risk to go full time in September, maybe take alternative turns like 50 percentage yep. uh, or, you know, one day working from home, uh, one, uh, students to go to school one day, another day that, that batch of students can stay home to do online learning. So this could be something that can happen immediately 
uh, or if a country is fully confident they can go even 100 percentage uh, it's up to uh, the decision of the governments um, but what i see there might be a lot of fear uh, among parents students and uh, people when they return to work uh, in 100 percentage terms um, they might not be confident to really feel ease and free to hang around so that uh, will be that that uh, you know challenges will be faced in the first six months or even uh, to, to a year it could be longer um, but in terms of the future for teaching learning uh, we, we got kind of disrupted right uh, from our teams and we still uh, you know managed to uh, deliberate it in a diligent way uh, that's something uh, uh, positive but uh, when we come back after the dis disruption we will look for um, a lot of good strategies to move ahead. Um, we need to multiple um, uh, you know, strategies to tackle any potential challenges that might uh, uh, you know, um, um, be possibly coming. Uh, God forbidden, uh, people talk about the second wave. <laughs> uh, so uh, we should be ready for any kinds of uh, such situation because this, uh, this, this has been a test for everyone uh, that some has managed in a short time, some struggled based on their you know, readiness. Uh, so uh, I think now everyone has uh, learned lessons. So most of us would be ready to face such challenges. That's a good thing. Uh, it's something uh, that we all developed resilience. We, we all developed uh, um, you know, uh, survival tactics to <laughs> go, go through these kinds of uh, challenges. So that's something that I see. Um, I think uh, what I also foresee in the future it's that um, lots of beautiful ideas will spark. Mm. Uh, um, many people will come out with lots of interesting tools, frameworks, strategies for teaching learning practices. I myself has got uh, one uh, which I developed uh, uh, during this time, which I call, which I initially called it um, Metpack, and now I call it Meltpack. <laughs> so you know the the TPack framework that has yep. been already existing. So what I pr propose in the post-pandemic world, um, um, teaching learning community must think of using this melt pack, uh, which refers to moral, empathic, language, technology, and content knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, we need to fulfill our moral duty. We need to also be empathic uh, with uh, people who might uh, go through their well-being challenges. Uh, especially during the post-pandemic world, as we all come out of our own, uh, you know, silos um, uh, with, with with all these uh, yep. struggles, and of course, you know, uh, language is something that is very important as well in my view to communicate, uh, reach out to people, and then technology, the pedagogic knowledge, and then the content knowledge. All of this will be very important in the teaching learning practices in the future, uh, uh, post-pandemic um, uh, teaching learning practices. Fantastic. So we, we've been given an opportunity then, right? We, we've had the opportunity to reflect. We should come out yeah. of it more adaptive, more responsive. Um, and as you say, better prepared. Um, this will not be the last pandemic the world sees. Um, this will not be the, la the last bump in education that the world sees. And if teachers can reflect and if schools and institutions can support and governments can provide frameworks, then, uh, yeah, we hopefully will be in a, in a stronger position. Well, that's, that's good. That's a nice, encouraging uh, message with which to, to end. Um, um, thank you very much indeed for, for this. This has been, um, been very enlightening. Um, and uh, we should come back and have another conversation in sort of a couple of months' time. And then we can see the extent sure. to which your framework is being implemented. Okay.
yeah, yeah, that's that's possibly a good idea. Uh, we can we can reflect on whether yeah. the prediction has, <laughs> is working or not. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, thanks for this op opportunity for this conversation. Chris. No, Wonderful you're welcome. You. Thank you very much indeed for your time.